Do you guys know what duende means? It's what the flamenco calls soul. It's that real thing inside us that can't be faked. Now this cat has duende out his ass. I'm gonna put in my requests. Hello and welcome to Pod 49, the Lodge 49 fan discussion show where we discuss, lament, and celebrate the long-lost but never-forgotten Lodge 49. We are in the midst of our season one rewatch. And um, as we have, we have guests every week, which we'll get to in just a second. But let me give you a little bit of details about this episode. It is called Something From Nothing. And it was directed by Michael Trim. Writing credits were Jim Gavin, Brad Kane, and Alina Mankin. And then the songs, actually kind of a little bit of a strange one, and there's only three needle drops, as opposed to the usual six or eight. We had the hot dog stand with Come On, Summer's Happening, Nine Theory with Seven Oceans, and the Afro Blues Quintet Plus One with La, 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 La. Also, you're going to be hearing a new voice in the host chair as we have our uh, Wunderkind, our secret weapon, our... Production maven Claire is hopping up onto the mic. Claire, uh, this is officially your second episode, but first time in the official host chair. So welcome aboard. Thank you all so much. I'll try not to talk about masturbation as much this time, but no promises. <laughs> we'll let the conversation go where it will go. But we have to welcome in our two very special guests. It's been an all-star lineup all season long, and we were... You all were on our short list um, the whole time. We're joined by Lodge 49 editors, Jennifer and Susan. And then I'm gonna let you introduce yourselves with the correct pronunciation of your full first and last names. So Jennifer, why don't you go ahead and give us that. I'm pretty sure the hang up was my name, wasn't it? <laughs> you know what? <laughs> Surprisingly, I was stumbling on both. <laughs> go Jen. Uh, I'm Jennifer Van Gotham, and uh, yeah, that's me. And S Susan, who I'm not going to say I'm whose last name. I'm Susan Vale, and uh, <laughs> I, and I'll, I'm going to I'm going to introduce Jennifer if I can. She she was an editor of both season one and season two of Lodge Forty Nine, and she and I go super way back, all the way to our first day of film school, where I walked in the classroom and was like, "Where is another girl?" And I saw her and I ran over and sat next to her and she grabbed my camera and like manhandled it and was like, it's a good camera. Okay. And I was very intimidated. And then I stuck close to her side for the next few years of our <laughs> master's degree program because she was very impressive. And then she um, got- I have no recollection of that and I did not- Oh, know. you, I vivid, it's vivid. <laughs> it's like so vivid. <laughs> anyway. But, um, and then, yeah, and then um, uh, we, we worked together through film school. We, we, then we went our separate ways, but we kept editing. We were both editing. And um, I also remember vividly going to brunch with you and hearing you tell me about this job you're about to start. And it sounded really cool. And I had worked with the director Randall before. And so I knew he'd do a great job. And, and I just remember specifically, Jennifer, you saying to me, you would love this show. Because <laughs> I had a lot of weird, personal, strange connections to, to the content, and then, um, and then, yeah, then season two came around, and suddenly you guys needed a new editor, and I was like, me, 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 me. So I was very, very thrilled to join the team then. So Jennifer, That's you do not, 
remember shaking the camera? <laughs> I don't, but that sounds like something I would do. She didn't shake it. She just, it was like super eight. We had to walk in with our little super eight cameras and right. I bought mine in a flea market <laughs> in Washington, DC. And I was like, is it any good? And she was like, yeah, it's a good, ca- it's a good camera. It's fine. <laughs> so I was like, thank you. I don't know how to use it. <laughs> I was more confident then. I think. Yeah, you, you <laughs> no, you've just always known what you're doing. So there we go. That's Jennifer Van Gogh. Right. Now we, um, we realized that, you know, you all have been friends for a long time, which you just shared a little bit of that. Um, but that this recording this podcast is the first time you've even been in a, a virtual room in some time. So, uh, you know, we, we would love for the podcast to be a vehicle for you to catch up each other a little bit and give a quick interview. Yeah, oh I, I have no idea what you've been doing, Jen. I think you were on, you started something a couple months ago, I feel like I remember. A show? Yes. Reese Witherspoon show, let's see. right? Well, let's dial it all the way back. I haven't seen let's you dial since. Like I, I picked you up fall, from, right? I picked you up and I gave you a mask, a face mask when I was unemployed <laughs> and right. making face it. masks. My, my, uh, <laughs> my, my Harry Potter face mask. Um, and then uh, I was just, I had just started something then, uh, which I'm very grateful for, but I'm not gonna get into because it was a network show that I, whatever. And uh, just not that interesting. Paid the bills. What's it? Oh, Pays okay. the bills, exactly. <laughs> Thank Very you, Susan important. Temp joy. Um, <laughs> but I think what you're remembering, because Susan and I text often and occasionally chat via phone regarding family and children and her children, her dog. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I am in the midst of wrapping up a show for Netflix that I, since we're not done yet, can't really get can't into. Did you I know. spill the beans too much? Did I spill too no, many no, beans? No, 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 not at all. Okay. Uh, it's, it, it, I'm not sure when it's going to, to drop, as they say on Netflix, but it's uh, it's Kristen Bell and it's a half hour and it's super fun. Yeah, there you go. I think I know what it, I, I think I the last thinking, show I was on yeah. was on the same what? lot, but. Oh, nice. Oh yeah, we uh, uh um Bradford. No, Susan, uh, Sunset Hour. Yep, yep, that's the one. Uh oh, <laughs> no, we have one. signed. No, no NDAs have been signed. So yeah, there, so to... sorry. <laughs> uh, it's very funny and quirky and weird, and it's another one that I think Susan you would like. Oh, I can't wait. I love her, <laughs> I love her from um, the good place so much. Yes, she is so freaking talented. It's amazing. <laughs> yeah. Her timing um, is like impeccable. Wouldn't it be amazing to see her and like Sonia Cassidy in a show together? Like, bam, let's get those right? ladies. Let's let's reboot Thelma and Louise with those two, please. Yeah. <laughs> wow. So it's a pitch. I'm putting it out there. Claire, can you do something about that? Yeah, you yeah, you got it. I got, I got the ear of some pretty powerful people as a, as a director's <laughs> guild trainee, not, you know. I can get into rooms, so. <laughs> Vision boarding that. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Um, yes, that's awesome. I can't wait. So is it but, a half uh, hour like, or hour? I, I'm, uh, it's, it's a, a half, half hour. hour. You know, it's a Netflix okay. half hour. So yeah. whatever that ends up being. Uh, 34 uh, minutes. Well, mm-hmm. <laughs> give or take. It depends. Sometimes it can be 20. Sometimes yeah. it can be 32. <laughs> whatever it needs to be. Like yeah. civilized storytellers do. Yeah, 
but yeah, um, the beauty I, I of uh, I'm kind of mad at you because you're going to make me re-up my uh, HBO Max subscription. You got to do it. You got to do it. I do. I do have to do it. it. Like I, I've seen it. so many fuck. <laughs> Hacks look so good. It Tell is so good. Her. I can confirm. Yeah. Jennifer, right? it is so good. It it's is so, so good. <laughs> and it's like, it's very much like Lodge 49 where I read these scripts and I was just like, oh my God, the writing is so good. And then the visual storytelling was so good. And it was just so like feminist and these amazing female characters. And I, I again, you know, Jennifer and I are old friends. I would text the other editor. We had an all female editing team. Yeah. And I was like, I'm just like luxuriating and cutting these scenes between women, just talking about such exciting, fierce, awesome stuff. And it's funny and it's just, it was so great. And then everything else was so fun. The music was so fun. The producers had incredible taste in music. We had a British music supervisor sending us bins of old soul. I was like, hello, it's just like Lodge 49. <laughs> Lodge 49. Let me, let me put in my uh, pinky so-and-so and you know, Dinah Washington songs. And there was a Celia Black in our bin. And we wasn't that someone we used a lot? I think a couple of times, she was like a British. Yes, definitely. Anyway, thank you, you guys know. And I was like, so I don't think she made it into hacks, but I was so excited to see it in the bin. It was just like a callback to Lodge 49 for me of like how fun the music journey was as well. So hacks was very special. And I just think you would gobble it up and love it. It's so smart and feminist and like just so ready. great, am, great storytelling. I'm a smart fan. <clears throat> yeah. She's so Same good. Incredible. Yeah. I, um, yeah. I was wondering like uh, going back to like the music uh, for the shows, um, I was always curious about how that process works in like narrative editing. <laughs> like, um, are you just kind of given like options for songs or do they say like, we want this specific song for this specific scene and you kind of have to cut the footage to that song or do you have a little bit more of a like leeway with what y'all choose? It can be all of the above basically, yeah. you know? So like, on Lodge 49, we had this incredible music supervisor, but right. also Jim Gavin had an amazing, just encyclopedic knowledge of music and taste. And so we had, and that's probably the largest music band I've ever had on a show in my life. It was, it was probably thousands of songs. It was crazy. Right. And so, so it was- I have to know, uh, when you first opened that bin of stuff from season one from Thomas, that was easily thousands of obscure random things what was the like I mean I, I knew well, you I, knew because I, that was a I conversation panic but I but I like I really love music and I love listening to it and and I I came from like old school days on Grey's Anatomy where we would just get um all these CDs and I would I had a like five CD disc changer you know in my edit bay and I would just throw the CDs on this platter and I would listen all day long while I'd cut and I had these little paper covers and I would make all my notes on scenes I thought the song would be wow. good for, just what that song made me feel or what its tempo was. And, and I had my precious little notes and then I would hand a stack of CDs where I'd made all these notes to my assistant. And I was like, now make me a select spin of any song that has even just a little hyphen next to it, put it in the select spin. Mm -hmm. And so now today we don't do that. And by the way, I literally just threw all of those, like it was like 
thousands of CDs wow. from Grey's Anatomy into a dumpster. Cause I was like, I don't know what I'm so hanging on right. to for. Yeah. It was like taking up half my storage unit. I was like, I love this music, but I, I, I need mm. the storage. <laughs> yeah. My brain musically stopped in about 2007. Like I cannot remember right. most band artist names anymore because like it just, I remember every song that was on Grey's Anatomy's <laughs> seasons and I can't remember anymore after that. But um, yeah, so I missed that. And I actually think I had, um, um, I'm sorry, I'm blanking our music supervisor's name. Tell me, I'm like, Susie is his wife. What is our name? Tom, uh, Tom, Patterson. Thomas Thomas Patterson? Tom Patterson. Tom Patterson, yeah. thank you. Tom, amazing Tom. I think I asked, begged him to send me the playlist so I could import them into iTunes. Oh yeah. I could play them through iTunes. So I have this precious <clears throat> grouping of Lodge 49 playlists. It's not even all of them. I mean, it's just probably a couple hundred songs. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> that well, I, there were but I like could... weird, random things where he would, it would be like some bizarre 45, the band yeah. broke up in 72 and somebody right. is living in Antarctica. So like, yeah. like trying to get the rights to stuff. Right. I just yeah. All of the nightmares that Tom was going through. This but God bless the assistant editors because they would import the music and write in descriptors. And one of the really important descriptors was date because um, eventually when we got into some of those season two episodes, like circles where we were doing so much stuff that was in the past in 1961, yeah. we, you know, we couldn't use any music after 1961. So we needed to also know the date of origin um, and uh, and just just any any descriptor at all was helpful. Right, for like, for... Because you can sift in a in a bin in the avid, you can put in a, a word, you know what I mean, like yeah. dreamy or uh, beachy or psychedelic or wow. something, and it would just help you find fine tooth comb, get that metal detector out to find the gold on the beach <laughs> of the songs to use, and um, yeah, and so generally I just would keep listening and keep a select bin and throw stuff out there and 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 try it, and then a lot of times um, I just remember. Um, season two my my first episode was that that Ernie journey the Ernie journey the Ernie uh, journey with, yeah <laughs> with with El Confidente yeah, and uh so and he has that dream where he sees Larry in the lodge and it was this yeah. I think I used a Celia Black song originally and then we did something else that was like dun 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 I'm like I, it's, oh, it's such a cool song but it was it was Peter Ako was in the room with me he was our other showrunner Right. And he was like, let's just open up the bin. And we did like music roulette. And literally it was one of the first songs that I, I, uh, I tried out and, and we were, he was like, that's what happens in, in the lodge. You know, yeah. you just try the song and it's magic. <laughs> it's magic. <laughs> it's magic. And it was like one of the first ones we tried. And it was so yeah. cool. Like this psychedelic song when he opens the door and Larry like beckons him. him right. In. So anyway, so, so, and then Jim would have very specific tastes at times where he was like, we're using this specific song here. We have to. And like, for me, the one that was so amazing was the, um, uh, yeah, it's God, it has the crazy, it's the one where they land with the parachutes and um, it's called like Euphrony oh, right. you, like, in, in blue or yeah, whatever, Euphrosyne blue or it's so, Yes, yeah. but it's Euphros, Euphros, Euphrosyne or something. Yeah. And my assistant editor later showed me the note that she made. I was like, you need to get this song, Paint Euphrosyne Blue. And she was like, she wrote Y-O-U. And she was like, she, she just was laughing so hard at how she heard me say, Paint Euphrosyne Blue. I'm like, she was, it was, anyway, but it was such a perfect song. And it was like, Jim just yeah. called it and we played it. And I was like, oh yeah, that song is epic and amazing. And that also just let's just we're fast forwarding to season two. That was the day Jen and I got to go to the set. 
and we drove oh, down to Long Beach and oh, we got right. to go to, I know we got to go to the beach and see Ernie and Dud with the parachute and the the what? Ernie's um what did the so music great. people say yeah the, the band the conquistadors no that oh mariachi mariachi his mariachi yes. uniform thank you the conquistadors but anyway and his like ah you know moment on the beach with earning coming out with the scrolls and the parachute and everything it was just like what a day that we got to go to the set it was like yeah. holy moly it was so awesome Perfect. so was that your first day that you got to go to the set or um uh yeah for me yeah like yeah i mean i was it, shooting in atlanta you right know, we yeah here so. in la yeah we so. were we were cutting in beautiful breezy santa monica which really, <laughs> i mean it was it was wonderful like you could awesome. see palm trees outside the window just swaying it was gorgeous and yeah. um and and then they they would come back from atlanta and shoot some stuff on location and so that day we went and it was like the day that like liz tackled the the guy who wanted his two dollars for tacos right. or something yeah. it was that day and then <laughs> And then it was uh, the the beach scene with, yeah. with Ernie and Dud and, and so a little cross boarding like Stella Imade Taco Shack yeah was on the beach that was so great and the typewriter falls from the sky anyway sorry season two oh, <laughs> season two I know you guys have to do this again with season two and have season I know we'll because... come back <laughs> <laughs> oh my god we, we already had episodes some of our season episodes two, but try to get so new kids just, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah season one season two season one season two. Until so, we get it, make season three. Oh, I know. Yeah, yeah the the crossboarding is something that's kind of interesting because. Right. Um, uh, do you want to explain what crossboarding is? Because a lot of people. May not sure. Know. So, um, did they do one and did they do like traditional crossboarding one and two season two? I can't remember. Season one, like episodes one and two, were full yeah. on crossboarding, which means they shot both episodes at the same time. Okay. Season but, two was like that, also. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. It's all a blur. Um, <laughs> but the bigger picture is that uh, <laughs> they were shooting Long Beach. They were shooting Atlanta for Long Beach, mm-hmm. which does not look the same. As someone who grew up in the Southeast, I can tell you the sky is different. Everything is different. It just doesn't look the same down there. And there's something about the SoCal sky and the whole thing that's just different. And they are really smart about how they break down Every single episode, about 90 to 95% of it was shot in Georgia. But then they would have very specific scenes that were shot actually in Long Beach to try and sort of get, you know, the stuff on the bluff or the stuff that's, uh, what else did they shoot in Long Beach? Um, Anything with Dud's house and, right? Wasn't yeah. It, the house exterior. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and like, what was the lady who sold Fidro? You know what I mean? Like the awesome lady. Lenora. She was oh, Lenore. Lenore, yes. Lenore. Her house. They Because those houses in Long Beach feel very specific. If you know Long Beach, like they really right. wanted, you know, that was not a suburb you were going to find in Atlanta. So like yeah. they did those things there. And um, the lodge exterior, I think, was Long Beach. And, yes. Um, you know, yeah, anything beach related, especially. It feels like also just palm trees alone, like it's different flora, totally. Yeah. Like we yeah. added a few di- digital. I, had, I was gonna <laughs> ask, like V on the slate, y'all. Like is, <laughs> yeah. here it comes. We, we, we changed yeah. a lot of skies and we added yeah. a lot of trees and took out yeah. a lot of trees. There were a lot yeah. of like yes, like pi- pine trees. Mm-hmm. Right, pine too, trees too just many. don't grow yeah. out here. Yeah, so. not, not a lot in Long Beach. Yeah. <laughs> So it's no. like the the reverse from the uh, um, like shooting out across the street from the strip mall where yeah. Dud, Dudley and Sons were. There was right. like 
uh, the pine trees. We can't have pine trees. We gotta paint out. And oh man, Peter Rock paint all out. And, yeah. <laughs> can we just say hi to Peter and Jim for a second, man? You guys, guys, you took us for such a beautiful adventure on that show. It was so great. The writing was so good. The casting, everyone. Carol Cutshall, costumer. I mean, just like oh our script God. supervisor, Amy, was so good. Everyone. It was like really just a beautiful group of people. Our post department was like the happiest team. We would have these amazing lunches every day. And then we'd have these crazy, very Lodge 49 moments, you know what I mean? And there was like one day, I think Jim was even eating with us and we happened to like, somebody mentioned that they had owned a Saturn, you know, or still had a Saturn, a car that's like been discontinued. Mm -hmm. And then pretty much like everyone at the table, like raised their hand. They were like, I had a Saturn, I had a Saturn. You know, I mean, Jen, you may not have had a Saturn. You may have been the, the outlier as usual, but almost everybody had a Saturn. <laughs> it was like, we were like, yep. Oh, yeah. And then, and then there was like a more serious moment where like almost everyone at the table had like lost a parent, literally everyone. Oh. Like we all were like, yeah, like I lost my mom, I lost my dad. And it was just like, it just was this moment where you come from these similar experiences and there's a reason that you just click and that you kind of vibrate on the same level and yeah. get the things that are important. So it was just like, and, and it, 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 we always heard the people in Atlanta would say there are these lodgy moments and it was nice that those were happening in, in LA for us and in editorial too, you know, Lawrence, Andrea, the whole team, Michaela, Andrea. Right, I mean, it, it always struck right. me that it's like part of the magic of Lodge was that, uh, you know, there are all these quirky, weird characters and they're so goofy. And then you realize everybody, everyone <laughs> who you meet feels like a character in Lodge Yeah, because that's life. That's reality. That's who yeah. people really are. Yeah. yeah, It's like maybe once you see someone for like their full selves, it, they can't help but seem a little quirky and a little bit, but also deeply human and yeah. relatable. Um, right. I have one yeah. more editing question, if y'all will indulge me for sure. Yes, ma'am. Uh, it's a big one. So like, is there anything in particular that drew that drew y'all to post-production as opposed to, uh, I know that the I'm not sure if both of y'all also directed, but uh, is there anything in particular that, that drew y'all to editing as opposed to, um, you know, on-set production work? Uh, Susan has definitely directed. Yeah. Uh, I have always wanted to edit. I feel like that is where, that's where this is gonna sound bad. I don't mean it to sound bad, but that's where all the power is because that's where the story comes together. Yeah. And, whether something is well shot or, or poorly shot, the miracles always happen in editorial. That's where you can make yeah. bad material okay, and you can make good material great. And that's always appealed to me, the puzzle of it. And as uh, discussing Peter Ocko, one of the things that he and I sort of vibed on is the thing about editorial, about getting in there and getting into the nitty gritty of it is that you're on this sort of teeter-totter of the rational brain and the instinctual brain. And you have to be able to do it at the same time. You can't be overly intellectual about whatever the material is because you will toss away some random bit of genius from Liz who does some crazy thing who, or something before the take or something like that. But you also, you have to sort of balance it all the time. And I love that. So that's all I got. 
Well, I, yeah, I went to film school already interested in editing and kind of hoping I could explore writing and directing, which I did. But Jennifer and I actually edited a documentary together and documentary especially is where the editors are just the wizards. You know, you get this mountain of footage and you just have to comb through it and create, it's alchemy, baby. You know, it's like, you, you've got to create that story out of that footage. And we co-edited a documentary together. And I think it was just, you know, we saw what we could do. You know, it's like the power of the storytelling was in our hands and it was really exciting. And- um, Something from nothing. Yeah. Exactly, that's uh, what, right. <laughs> what, what's the name of that uh, documentary for the It was a student film called The First Cut? The final First cut, this cool. something. It was actually about a student filmmaking class at Venice High School. And they were making this like X-Files parody so or something. Fun. Those kids so were so cute. Great. It was so cute, but it was also that first weird experience where you literally like, I just felt like I knew these kids and I was in their lives and their heads. And then they came to, I think the screening and they had no idea who we were. And that's like the bane of editorial where you're like, yeah. I've spent a lot of time alone with you in Staring a dark room. At you. <laughs> and I was like, but you don't know me, but I really, really know you very well. And, um, and I remember one day, uh, Sonia, is it Sonia or Sonia? How did, do you know how she pronounces Sonia? Sonia, I think. Yeah. yeah. She yeah. came into the, she came into the, the production room and it was just so amazing to see her there. Like she was like making some copies of something and then her little yeah. British accent. She's so cute. <laughs> it was just, I was like, hi, Liz. <laughs> I was like, I know you're not Liz, but it's so amazing to see you in person. Cause like, I'm right here with you all the time. Yeah. yeah. So, um, wow. yeah, so I think editing was something I was already drawn to and it just confirmed that. And then I did direct a little bit when I was on Grey's Anatomy mm -hmm. and um, I found, I just, I just enjoyed like what Jennifer said, the sort of control and creativity I had in the editing room. It's where victories happen. And I found that like on the set, it just, you come in with a vision or goals and it was just like chipped away and chipped away and chipped away and chipped away. And you kind of were left with like, I hope I got something. Right. And then in the editing room, you're given this stuff. And I was like, watch what I can make. And it was this complete inverse experience. Yeah. And right. um, so I just was like, oh, please put me back with my Avid where I could <laughs> just, again, turn it into gold. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And um, and so I just, yeah, I really much prefer editing as well. And and then I just, I try to reach out to actors though, because I just really do appreciate the ones that give me gold in the beginning, you know? Right. And um, just, I want to say a little shout out to Linda Iman. She actually messaged me on Instagram after watching Hacks just to say that she really loved it and thought it was great Aww. storytelling and nice work. And I was like, Right. I don't even know if I met her in person, but I just appreciated the, that she took that moment to, to kind of reach out. It was just great. Was she down there when we went down to Long Beach? She was there, but I, I didn't get a chance to speak with her. You know, I think um, she was there though, but I, I was like intimidated because I was, I had been cutting that huge scene between her and um, Scottish amazing lady who runs Lodge One. Uh, I'm oh, right. Cla uh, you know, Clara? Clara. Oh, I was like, Claire? Oh, Clara, yeah, Clara. Clara. I'm cutting a new show right now with a character named Claire. So I'm like, oh my God. She sounds <laughs> yeah. great. And, uh, and no, and so, so Clara and yeah, I was in the middle of cutting that huge scene. I was super intimidated because it was such an epic, like huge, like four or five minute scene between the two of them. And she did really remarkable work in it. And I didn't want to go up to her and like fangirl too much and be like, what you did was so intense. And by the way, I, I saw you like 15 years ago in Homebody Kabul, the Tony yeah. Kirshner play that you were in. I was like, I just, 
just don't want to be too geeky. But anyway, I did. I saw all that and I loved all that work. So you know, it sounds like yeah. you have like all that inner dialogue from the editing room. Yeah, it's up. like yeah. it's like to go somewhere. It is. It's like you spend so much time. It's hard not to lose your cool when you meet the mm -hmm. actors. You know what I mean? Because you're just like, like I did meet David Pasquese and I just think he's so incredible. His work as Blaze is one of just the yeah. great performances. And like, I just was like, you're so good. You know? like, well, do I sound normal? 49 moments. Uh, <laughs> I, I met Pasquese in person the first time in the office complex where the editorial buildings were he had come to meet with Jim and Peter or something mm -hmm. and I had gone to get coffee and I was walking back in and I walk in the door and there's David just sort of wandering around looking <laughs> like blazes cup of coffee and I was like uh David are you looking for editorial because you know I work on 49 I'm not some weird rando mm -hmm. yeah. yeah he's such a lovely person it's funny I took my son to get his vaccination because he's he's a teenager and he could do it and uh we were leaving or there was a woman leaving the vaccination site and she was like I loved Lodge 49 and I was so taken aback I was like <laughs> how does she recognize me and I didn't realize I was wearing the hoodie Oh, <laughs> you know, it, had the, it had the big links on the front. And she was just like, I somehow she had worked with David in Chicago at Steppenwolf Theater. And she and I was like, oh, my God, it was just so great to have this out of the blue, like Lodge 49 love. And both both Rome and my son and I were looking at each other. We we're like, how did she know? <laughs> this is weird. Like, I was like, oh, OK, <laughs> but I was wearing the jacket. Oh, man. <laughs> I was uh, wearing my Dudley and Son shirt on a set and like the second AC came up to me and she was like, oh my God, I love that show. That's so amazing. You worked on it. And I had to like break it to her. I was like, oh, I'm just, I'm just an insane fan. fan. <laughs> like, hey, yeah. It doesn't, this is still, it, it is still, the lodge is still here yeah. and you are a part of it. So thank Aw, you. shucks. Yeah. <laughs> All right. With, with that, let's jump into apply our passion to the episode, season one, episode eight. We always start off with what are some big moments or themes that you took away in your rewatch? Uh, floor is open. Who wants to jump in? I, I'm happy to. Um, Go for I, it. I was really struck by how many references there were to water and how, you know, there's a lot of discussion about the elemental relationship each season has, you know, so yeah. season one was water. Season two was, you know, it's funny. I think I heard Celia in your earlier podcast say maybe it was earth or something, but season two was about fire. And it, and, the, and the way you know that most clearly is Ernie jumping through a ring of fire at the end, you know, <laughs> like that is, is about fire you know? yeah. and burning it away. Yeah, three was going to be earth, right? Yeah, because Dud fell into the earth in your beautiful, right. amazing episode with the lightning bolt. So, um, so yeah, so I was really struck by there. Uh, there were I can I wrote a few of them down. Like they meet Captain in the water, and he's like, "Come in, you know, take your clothes off, get in the water." Um, Tarquin, we meet Tarquin, and he's talking about, "Did you enjoy the icebreaker?" You know, and he's like, "Really?" He's like, "I hope it was like an axe breaking the frozen seas inside of you." So there's these references to water that I just thought were kind of Jocelyn, you know, goes, he's like, yeah. I spent an hour in the waves. And I just, um, I just, again, I was really appreciating the script when I was watching this episode because so many scenes like really just reinforced some of those important, important elements. And so water was a huge part of this one. Mm. Yeah. Nice. I That's a like good one. one. I remembered as um, it kind of redawned on me about how 
uh, optimistic I felt at the end of it and how, um, how much the show kind of, I think, um, sets you up for your optimism to kind of take it out and then it brings it back again a little bit, but it's not for what oh, you yeah. expect. So like there's an optimism that they're gonna make money, that Liz is gonna get a job that's gonna get her out of debt. And I'm always a giant sucker for being like, yes, it's all gonna pan out. And that's, you know, I cannot stop myself for like rooting for that, even though there's another part of me that kind of understands that it's probably not going to. But yeah, that sort of like optimism yeah. that they that they all have towards the end of the episode. And of course, knowing, I just remembered how much I was like thinking, you know, and I did it again in season two as well, when I really thought they were gonna like figure out Bitcoin or something that the school. <laughs> They found the scrolls. They found the scrolls. I can't stop myself from wanting to believe, you know. So that I thought. But it's the wanting to believe that's the point, right? I mean, that's always that was always my sort of Mm. takeaway with Dud was that, um, like, when he when they're having the conversation with Captain and he's saying, you know, I'll spot you however much money. All I want is to be a member of the lodge. You know that it's going to fall and fail and be a disaster. You yeah. know, it's not gonna work and they're not gonna be rich, but it doesn't really matter. It's, the, it's that moment of feeling good and positive and, and on an adventure. It's the adventure that matters. Mm-hmm. It's the process yeah. that matters. But what's, what's also the, amazing is like Ernie points out like exactly what you know, you're talking about, Bart and Jennifer, you know, that like, that he's taught, he, he points out that- um, If you want to break someone completely, you get their hopes up first. You tell them the land is gold. When it turns out to be lead, it'll never be cheaper. He, he's explaining to Dud what captain's fraud is. And literally it's like the captain listens to that and he's like, oh, so let me promise you some gold. Yeah. And, uh, and then Ernie's like, yes! You know? <laughs> I mean, he, he immediately falls for what he just explained, you know, how it's going to end. And and it's like... Human you know, nature in a nutshell, right? And, yeah. One minute earlier, he's like, we give you money? You know, like... Right? Yeah. And then he was like, it's all going to change, man. We're going to be rich. We're coming into it. It's all going to happen. And I was like, five minutes ago, you were just explaining that that's the way they con you. is like, they promise you gold. And then they they pull the rug out from under you. And then they they get it for pennies. And and uh, and I was like, but, but again, I think Ernie has been getting some of that eternal optimism that dud has and it, it dud is contagious you know i think it, it doesn't ben big ben say in this episode that kid really cares yeah, yeah. yeah. he and cares that kid cares so much <laughs> he cares so much and it's like i feel like it's you it's in it's maybe infecting you know ernie a little bit in his adventure with the captain and he's like i'm gonna go for it even though yeah. he there's a the lizard part of his brain knows it's not gonna end well. well like i was thinking about uh, you know, Ernie, for all his claims of being a realist, since episode one, he's been saying, I got to get to Captain. On that, I was, on that's that... the thing that's always intrigued me about um, all of the characters is that Doug's the only one who's not really actually looking for gold. Right. Right? right? It's yeah, like, good point. I mean, in, that, um, in, the, in the scene in the restaurant, and it's like, Captain's talking about his big fantasies of, I'm going to do this and make all of this money and the wind day and Ernie's talking about how he's going to cash in and what his dreams were and that, or that his dreams when he was in high school was that he was going to pitch. I can't remember uh, yeah. for major league baseball. 
And then yeah. Dud just says, I wanted to work the shop with my dad and go surfing and in the morning yeah. and work all day and then have beer by the pool. That's all I wanted. That was it's my true. goal. It's like such a humble like goal. It's still just, you know, it sort of shows like how far like post-industrial capitalism has pushed that out of reach, like this very <laughs> like small, uh, humble goal. And I was going to kind of piggyback onto the stuff uh, y'all are saying about Captain and all these promises and everything. Um, I know in earlier episodes, y'all kind of talked about tarot and stuff mm-hmm. like that. And so, Chris, I don't know if you mind if I like- No, go for it. A little, I, I did a little it. tarot investigating because um, early on, Captain says he's like trapped in a tower and a tower is like one of those tarot right. cards. Um, and if you look at the tarot card, it it definitely seems like foreshadowing of stuff that happens to Dud, but I'll like get into that later. Um, but I wanted to read what the definition or like what the tower means. Um, it says the tower itself is a solid structure, but because it has been built on shaky foundations, it only takes one bolt of lightning to bring it down. It represents Normal. ambitions and goals made on false premises. Premises. Oh. Yeah, oh. so I thought, well, like, no, I love that you're bringing this up because I was going to talk about that because um, there, there was this little sequence in the script that I was really blown away by. And it, it started with Connie when she's going to go to the MRI and then she opens the door and she like almost stumbles mm-hmm. and she backs up like there's safety in the lodge. You know what I mean? And one of the images we always see in the lodge is that one with the ladder to the tower, right? Like, mm-hmm. yeah, that's one of those images on the wall. And then the very next scene after after Connie kind of backs up and she's like, I'm going back to the safety of the lodge is Blaze talking to Jocelyn. And he says to Jocelyn, this library is not an asset. It's a citadel. And what's a citadel? Big tower. tower right? yeah. You know what I mean? It's a place oh, of protection. So right. And it was like yeah. and that's where I was like this writing, this screenwriting, like they <laughs> so took this good. moment of like she needs to be protected. So she retreats into the tower. She's the mm-hmm. lady in the tower. And Blaze is like, by the way, it's a tower. You know yeah. what I mean? It's a place of protection. And then um, and then to, to Jocelyn, he's like, I'm the guardian. He's like basically the guardian of the tower, which mm-hmm. is like, and you think into season two, how Blaze like eventually finds his way into the egg room or whatever, yeah. and even more inside. He's just like, that's where he's gonna just embed himself. And, yeah. and then right after this, the next scene is Ernie talking to Captain. And he's like, you're a hard man to find. And, and Captain says, most of the time I can't find myself. I'm trapped in a, in tower, a tower, Ernie. Mm-hmm of endless litigations and then he's like I'm a gray man in a gray area so it's so I was like citadel tower I was really vibing on all those words too and 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 those images that are in the lodge and you know what is the lodge and and who occupies the tower but then like you said the captain he's a gray man in a gray area shaky Mm -hmm. foundations his it, it dud says to him a bunch you're you're moral you're you're like morally you know confused i mean yeah. you're a moral gray area. right which is why you've lost your duende that's why i lost his duende. duende well and like i love the idea that you know the 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 tower itself is secure because it's like it has a good structure built up like the lodge itself is a safe place but it's built mm-hmm. on the shaky foundation where it's um you know, it's in debt. It like hasn't paid its dues in a long yeah. time. So like the community itself is like the tower, but it can so easily be brought down by all these other forces. And I thought it could also be a metaphor for like capitalism and like, um, you know, totally. and um, yes. the structure of Omni um, also. <laughs> and uh, yeah, and um, 
Yeah. And then obviously, a, yeah, yeah, Captain. Omni is um, just like a wisp of mm -hmm. a husk of. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. But one part of the tower metaphor, the tower reference of, uh, you know, connected to the tarot and that theme is that one thing about the tower is that if it's something that's viewed as needing to transcend, it's actually when what the, the mm -hmm. thing that you most fear or scares you happens and the trans mm. transformation oh. happens when you realize that it's not that big a deal. So mm. there is some aspect of the, the of conquering the tower, the tower being yeah. so all encompassing. So if, whether you think about it as capitalism, it's like, okay, so what if we just stepped outside half a foot or whatever, mm. like would the world crumble? No, right? Would Would like, you know, what's real with the captain is his, was his relationship his, with his wife, you know? So like yeah. if the destruction of his business falls, that's not the, that's not the soul crusher, you know, on, we're going to find out that the lodge earning all these characters, you know, who are going to have their comeuppance on this sort of certitude, which was my theme for the week, Ooh. you know, is going to kind of get its comeuppance kind of by the episode 10, you know, uh, and they'll all be okay, you know, and they're probably better for it on the other side. So yeah, the, that, the, the tower is a fascinating angle on this one. And Susan, I hadn't even, I had, you know, you, you really went down the rundown. There really was like six or seven <laughs> direct references. I, I was really, again, I was just like, I was just like listening and I was like, I was, there were so many moments where there was like a, a thing, you know, where it was a thing about, you know, maybe water. And then the next scene, somebody had something about water. I was like, oh, and then the mm -hmm. thing about the tower. And then the next scene was mentioned the Citadel. And I was like, oh my God, like what beautiful writing really like yeah. that kind of stuff that works on a subliminal level where, you know, me as a, a viewer watching season one, I was just like, I just, I, it's working on my subconscious, you know? Oh, it's just, it was a random thing I was going to say from an earlier episode. Cause I really went and watched the ones before. And it was like that, this dream that you can't, can't even tell if it's Dud or Liz that's having it. And they're staring at their dad's shop and their dad walks out and he's smoking and then he disappears into yeah. like a cloud of smoke. And in the reverse shot on the two of them, um, the, Bert's pawn shop is behind them. So this huge word pawn is right between the two of them. And I just was like, oh uh, God, if you've seen season two and she's in the pawn chess game, you know, the, the yeah. Omni training in the chess match, I was like, <laughs> it's just these weird connections that happen. And when you kind of go back and, and watch it, it's just so cool. So anyway, sorry. So yeah, so I've, I'll go down the deep dive on, on symbol, signs and symbols for sure. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> it's fun. <laughs> From episode eight, there were a number of omitted scenes Ooh. and I'm hesitant. Yeah. I mean, I'm a big believer in the, the final product is the final product. Mm -hmm. yeah. That's the episode that we all agreed upon. But there was some really good choice stuff. Unfortunately, the, the, the bulk of the omissions came from Connie's story, simply to just because of time. It's mm -hmm. strictly because of time. But I'm, I'm remembering like Susan, you were talking about her rushing out to the door and the, and the yeah. light. There was a whole other scene where she goes mm. into a back room and she discovers like some mysteries of the lodge and some photographs. She has a big fight with Scott at the lodge. There's all this other stuff that oh. happened in, in her story that I miss. I mean, it does, you mm. don't miss it when you watch the episode, it all plays, but yeah. it's, uh, her character was, is so fascinating and I mean now that you I was very it, impressed with how like sculpted her storyline was. So it makes sense to me that there's a lot that was excised, but it was really like 
just brought down it to was just what needed it to was there. distilled to the <laughs> she was just she was the essence <laughs> truly was yes. <laughs> which which I think we were talking I don't know if that was before we started recording we were talking about how Liz Liz tells Dud you know that she's she's been distilled that she's the essence now um and no but like like even and even Scott's story how he, he barely he he almost has no dialogue in the episode like he he talks to her on the phone he's like where's your MRI you're you're late for the MRI he shows right, up that to makes that last moment, that final that scene. Exactly. It's powerful because he's been, he's been kind of stripped back to the essence. You get that wonder of him in the, in the, um, the big yeah. container ship, ship contain shipping container. Oh yeah. Where he's drumming. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's working something out. You know what I mean? And it's the strange, significant wonder that has all this tension and emotion. And he's so, you can see he's so frustrated. You don't know what he's feeling. And it just pays off so economically in that huge moment at the end uh, with Ernie, where he's like, I need you to start sleeping with Connie again. <laughs> it's a man of few words. And it's like, those words are effective, you know? <laughs> like, it, was, it was really impressive. As a portly middle-aged man, I really feel so much kinship with Eric and Brent because the way they tell physical stories with their bodies mm -hmm. is really remarkable. Both those actors, like they do, you know, like, there's that scene earlier in season one where, you know, Ernie's like rubbing his belly yes. about like, you know, and then later, and then, and then. I fought God, for that. In those, are you what? He fought for that? <laughs> you fought she for fought that. for that. <laughs> yeah, that is well, the Lord's the, work. Yeah. Let me back down to you, yes. Yeah. Editor, editor. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and then Eric, every, you know, like he tells a story with almost every movement he makes with his body. It's yeah. really remarkable. I, I always find he is these rewatches. Big guy. Yes, I find my yeah. yes. That's so true. Both of them. I'm like, wow, these guys are doing a lot of work without talking. Yeah, I I cut their the slow mo football scene with Jocelyn <gasps> in yeah. season two, and like I just loved that it became a gif of like Scott like celebrating yeah, yeah. and like yeah, you know what I mean. Like I just because again his physicality is so awesome and he communicates so much through through his physicality, like he did in that drumming moment, you know? And it's just, it's, um, it's really, yeah, no, he's, and like, again, it's like, it's just, there's, there's an, an economy to the storytelling, which it's like, yes, things got lost along the way, but like what was, what remained was so true, was like very truthful. And like the, I think, I think right, well, but the, true. like it, as is almost always the way, the stuff that was lost, it's still in, in, the rest of the material, this material that exists and, mm -hmm. and remains mm -hmm. is imbued with all of the lost material. Yeah, it's yeah. feeding the subtext for sure. Yeah. The foundation. But we can't talk about physicality without mentioning Wyatt. Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> oh, totally. <laughs> I mean, my A God. damn genius at that. Like <laughs> him getting hit with the hummus is maybe the funniest like <laughs> moment of physical comedy I've seen. Like with Lenore. Yeah, right. like, <laughs> all of that, but I mean, yeah. He's that right. young man is a, he's a beautiful fit <laughs> gorgeous young man and yeah he goes out there and schlubs and shuffles and he he embodies this whole other person who is yeah. not on yeah. um, what what's the uh, the marvel avengers thing <laughs> yeah he, like he's this yeah. that's the same body it's the same mm -hmm. body yeah. in the same clothes basically yeah. and yet yeah. he he just turns himself into something else with it like those shrug shoulders and 
That is a talented, talented fella. Like walks, he's got that limp, but he like kind of appears very frail almost, you know? Mm. Like, and yet he stands very tall. Yeah. Which yeah. is also like really, you know, he's, I mean, perhaps he is a tower unto himself. Aww. But, um, <laughs> but, but like I do, I, he's, I'm sorry, Susan, go ahead. I was just gonna say that in the beginning when like when Ernie finds him that that moment that reveal you know like there he is that he's you know he's finally thinks he's gonna find Captain instead he finds Dud Ernie says no one gets to Captain and here I am at the center of the maze <laughs> well I'm here too told you your fates are intertwined and he just throws that line away like he says it so fast and it's like He's literally like, and I'm here too. I told you our fates were intertwined. Like there are a lot of actors that would have just put a lot of extra special sauce on that. And right. he just, he tossed it away like the most casual, like, no, oh, this is what, you know, I told you. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's, it's like, I just thought that was so phenomenal. And then the, they're like, right after that, like Ernie starts to hyperventilate. I mean, just talking about yeah, the physicality and the paper bag. Cilantro. He's like, I put onions and cilantro in there. But like, the, I just was really struck by Dud's like physicality with Ernie, like comforting him and making sure he was okay and taking care of him. It was very squiring, you know. Like he's just right. like, let me help you. Let me let me just just breathe in. And it was it was so clear and comforting. And I just was like, Dud is so clear. It's it's just so great. Truth right. Service, well, and right? like when when they're in the the pool with Captain, Wyatt <laughs> clearly finds the one position where he can be in the water where he does not look like a stud. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but but also like the beginning of that, Captain's like, "Take your clothes off, get in the water," and Dad's like, "Okay, like immediately, <laughs> <laughs> just, just no hesitation." And Ernie's yeah. like, "What?" Dad's like, "Yeah, that's what we're doing now." Like he's yeah. so he lives in the moment. He's so in the moment that it's like, "Yep, that's yeah." Dad is so a perfect improv partner. Like just <laughs> yes and anything. <laughs> yes. yes, yeah, and then it's like it's, he's so in the moment that that's why like that like later when he goes like to the captain's house and they're breaking in and you can, it's just like it takes a long time for things to dawn on him. He's like, okay, well, you did the gate didn't work. <laughs> he's like all right i'll hobble across the glass you know he's just like i'm accepting of this moment but my question <laughs> it's just his again his physicality is like it's awesome and mm -hmm. it's just it's so true to his character I love it. it is so amazing we're led to you know that we're you know this guy was a basically a borderline professional hockey goalie you know right. and then he can't he can't field a fly ball in the softball scene you know like and you got to make that believable <laughs> yeah all right so this is good to tee up some small moments little things that you notice or little character beats that kind of you know we kind of we've been weaving them in anyway but you know what were some like you know especially when you watch these multiple times and for you all for heaven's sake some of these episodes that you edited you know you watched you know innumerable times what, but what, was there anything like small that you noticed in this rewatch that was new I loved hearing the captain say philosophy with a full bar. You guys accepting new members? Because we have all struggled so much, right? To explain the show, Lodge 49 to people. And I was like, that is the most succinct description, <laughs> I think, of the show in a way. You know, <laughs> I was like, at least the captain gets that. And I literally used it like the next day on Twitter because somebody posted like, I love these shows, like The Good Place and The Detectorists. What should I watch next? And I was like, 
Uh, everyone who watches Lodge 49 loves those shows and right. it's a uh, philosophy with a full bar. I was like, you'll love it too. You know? So I really appreciated, again, that quick little moment, you know what I mean? That I was like, oh yeah, <laughs> that's the Lodge yeah. in a way. One that stood out to me was I, I've always been a bit of a Gil fan mm. and uh, uh. The, the scene with Gil and Connie where she's interviewing mm. him about losing the job and all of that and Orbis and everything. And uh, there was one line from Gil that really stood out to me, which was that um, uh, sometimes when you're building stuff, you can you can lose yourself, something, mm. something to that effect. And that's kind of what all of these people in Long Beach are feeling. It's like we were, we were building stuff yeah. and we lost yeah. ourselves. And now here we are and everything's gone. What do we do yeah. now? And it's, that just stood out to me. I love that scene too. Yeah. 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 It was just fun building things, you know, like they're the parabola group now. And it's just, oh, yeah. No. And, well, and, and, and again, that... it was specifically building things to destroy stuff. He was building yeah. cabinets. Right. <laughs> yeah. The trebuchet, which I thought was a font, but I guess it's a, it's a I feel like I feel like it can be both. Yeah. <laughs> it can be both fonts and other things, right? <laughs> um, yeah, no, I, I think I remember the shot. That I think I texted you about this shot after I watched the episode, Jen, which was the slow motion of Liz spinning in the Zorb ball or whatever that thing oh, is. Yes. Yeah. That shot to me is like, I think one of the greatest shots I've ever seen because it's such an incredible reveal. It's like this amazing slow pan. And like the last part of it is like that you realize it's Liz in the center of the ball. And that is so Liz, you know? And she, I just, and yet it's this ball of, just silly nothingness. Well, and her whole arc in, in this episode is kind of interesting because she sort of succumbs to yeah. peer pressure or whatever at first and, and denies her people over at Shamrocks. And oh yeah, I was it was just research and I'm not really mm -hmm. one of those people. I'm one of y'all. Mm -hmm. And no, and that's then, true. And then she, she comes around and she yeah. speaks the truth. And then she comes back to them in the end and God, the way they just like love her, you know what I mean? Like her Shamrock's family is like, it's so amazing. And, and I think especially in the context of her huge monologue, which we'll talk about, it's not a small moment, that monologue is a big one, but like, you know, just that they're like, they're like, they're so proud of her. They're like, we barely even recognize you. We've never gotten chances like this in life. We never were given anything, but we're just so happy for you. I mean, they are her knights, you know what I mean? She oh. is their queen and it's like, they just support her. And they're, and like, they're like, and even if it doesn't work out, what, I mean, they say like, you know, you, this is always your home, right? You know, like it's, it's just, it's so beautiful. Like, and, and so I don't know, I just, I was really moved by that little scene with them in the kitchen, like just, just really giving her love and support and saying, and we'll always be here for you too. Like, no matter what, I was like, oh, yeah, <laughs> you'll need that. Traitor. What is it, what is it that Jam <laughs> oh. says to her? I should give you crap for signing with a major, but. Luckily, no one cares about that anymore because nothing means anything anymore. No, oh, champ, you're gonna make me cry. Yeah, I mean, again, uh, like the writing in this in this particular episode, because the parallel story of how the something from nothing just come, happens over and over and over again. Like Captain yeah. Captain is literally something from nothing. Fraud, There's nothing yeah. there. It's all <laughs> right, smoke and yeah. mirrors. It's all a front, and yet right. he's created all of this wealth and all of this stuff, and. Gil has spent 20 years with Orbis and he made something and then it turned out to be nothing and it's just over yeah. and over and over again. 
Even Liz is in this Liz training is... program with Omni and it's like, and it's are you nothing. kidding me? There's nothing it's there. Such a she knows it. It's yeah. a dream storm of a snow globe and a chalice, <laughs> you know what I mean? And then, but what I have to say, like, I just love, I do love how she gets so real. And even Tarquin is moved by it. Tarquin, we haven't talked about yeah. the introduction is of Tarquin. Know? Intro of Tarquin. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, he's like beautiful, you know, like, yeah. I thought he was. She she gets to the mingle. She she gets to the, the essence. Yeah. You know. Yeah, but to me that that whole thing just feels like it's not so much that he's moved by it as he sees an opportunity of something he can yes. use. Yeah. It's yeah. like he's like I see something I can exploit. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. Or and maybe Janet. Oh my god. Maybe he <laughs> he does see that like she actually does grasp like the core of the relationship between like consumer and like producer or whatever is that we're all bound together by loneliness and despair <laughs> like yes. uh, there's a part where where captain yeah. says to ernie when he's like trying to sell him on this land idea he's like you've been a seller for so long are you ready to buy and oh, like yeah. as we learned from liz those are just the same thing like you're just caught in this like weird right like uh, but you see for Bernie how he's being handed the chalice, you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. He's like, it's a magical moment for him. And it's like, he had just explained, he's like, but that's the con, like they offer you the gold and then it turns to nothing. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I, yeah, no, and Liz, Liz, you know what? Here's the thing, can I say this about Liz's speech, yeah. which I loved, she was like, it's about loneliness and despair and tits. And yeah. I'm just gonna yeah. say it because like, for me, it was like one of the, slightly off it was like the one one of the few off-putting things about lodge 49 when i first started watching i mean like i hate hooters i just think it's gross mm -hmm. and like these women are being exploited and i and i was like what is the, the boobs and the oh my god and so then to hear her so like literally nakedly be like it's about the dits you know like it was so great to hear it called out that yeah. that is what they are selling and i think there's a later episode where she literally pulls the the falsies out yes, of her shirt what is it? and i was what like thank was you Throws I, yeah like the chicken cutlet things yeah oh um, my god I just was like thank you like for just showing it for what it is talk about something from nothing it's like you know yeah. <laughs> like she's, exactly. she's creating yeah. creating a bus line she doesn't have you know for, for the job but um I just really loved her like her very raw truth telling in that moment because it is such a facade you know like mm -hmm. to have these waitresses and these little skirts and you know, and um, and she sees through to what what they are really selling there, which is like a, a medicine for the loneliness and that they're feeling on both sides of the cashier register. Yeah. You know, <laughs> well, and um, oh, sorry, uh, <laughs> more, I can during, attest. Uh, <laughs> during that scene with Tarquin, uh, he calls it the vivisection. And mm. that diagram from like the medieval ages called the wound man is like projected like on yeah. the screen behind him, which is like, Ooh. which just like a million, like a guy with like a million different injuries. And so like, obviously I'm thinking about Dud and everything, but what's interesting about the wound right. man is he doesn't look like he's in pain mm. or anything. And it's like, um, well, and then later know, Liz like, is in bed with the corporate guy and he yeah. points out her wound, you know, yeah. her quick fungus. And she's like, it's nothing, just what, you know, yeah. so <laughs> kind of. Which yeah, is a sure deadly. genetic trait, I have to add. That line <laughs> got cut. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> but we know that. We know it's a family thing, right? We know it runs yeah. in their family. Yeah, yeah. It's, so it's, it's assumed that you figure it out as an audience. There's always a thing about Liz in these episodes to me that is like, 
you know, you're kind of watching her transformation in real time. Cause even if she eventually rejects this, or even if there's like it, even a real time rejection, whether it's the scene where she's doing the one-on-one -on -one interview or then the, you know, these scenes in the, in the workshops, her intellect doesn't get triggered like that at the restaurant, right? Like, so she can be in a place where she knows she's not for this, but it's almost like the stream of conscious intellect now, because in a space where at least there's a facade of respecting that, or that that is the tools of the trade and not like a, you know, a tight shirt or what are the specials today? And so she hasn't learned how to calibrate that yet. And it just like pours out in these moments. And so like, even though she jumps off the boat, all that stuff, she enters season two at a different kind of intellectual plane, an understanding of herself and understanding of like wanting something intellectually different for herself. So it's always fun in these episodes to see her struggle with that because obviously she's in a scenario where that's more rewarded, valued than her typical surrounding, which was none at all. And so she's mm. sort of like in real time, like having to balance that out. Ultimately it manifests itself as a rejection, but she's not the same person than she was entering that. Like the vivisection she's, worked. <laughs> I know. Like, still. She's polite. Yeah, she was like, she's still or something. Yeah. Mm -hmm. She's and I yeah, I mean like Liz and Dud's like they're both of their like ebullient hope at the end towards the end when they see each other. Mm -hmm. It's like, you know, um I mean she points out what Dud is offering her is nothing. Yeah, that's my like, favorite yeah. one of my favorite lines. Something big is, is gonna uh, happen. Like, she's like <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're literally just doing what you're supposed to do, which is pay me back. And you're exactly. not even doing that yet. You're just saying you're going to. And so it's like, they're both pointing out to each other, the like kind of false, the, the falsity of, 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 right. of, of their joy and, and yeah. optimism. And yet they're just, they're in the moment and they're, they're, they're love feeling hopeful. And like, I think you talked about Bart, like we love feeling hopeful with them. I want it. I want them to get, I want their chips to come in so bad. You know? I also love the way that she's like eating the whole time. You know, she has this like running. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Oh, oh my God. I was such a trooper. It's also like that, you know, everybody else is like hanging on Tarquin's every word. And she's like, you know, mm -hmm. You don't really believe this, right? The only thing that's real down egg rolls. room is the food that I can actually eat. Yeah. This value that is is real, and I'm gonna take it because I'm kind of a, a bit of a you know a survivor. You know, like yeah. I will take food when it's there because you know I've been surviving for so long. I was gonna say that um, that slow motion shot of her in the like the Zorb ball, and then like the 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 cockfight later that Captain takes yeah. uh, Dud and Ernie to. Those to me have a direct visual parallel to the dumpling dumpling eating fight, you know, with, <laughs> with Paul Giamatti yeah. in season two. And I just was like, as soon as I saw those, I just was like, oh my God, there's this very strong, you just feel like the dots connect in that moment. And like Liz's power is eating and consuming and, yeah. uh, and she can't be stopped when she's in that mode. And it's so <laughs> awesome. You know? <laughs> anyway, I now, now if I can... On that point, if I can peel back the curtain a little bit, like uh, whose decision, you know, is that a directorial choice to go into slow-mo? Is that something that's like storyboarded? Is that how, you know, what, you know, what gets us to like earmarking those moments? Because they're used pretty judiciously, but also for great effect in the two seasons. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I mean that was specifically planned for sure. It's a directorial choice. They shoot in yeah. slow-mo on, on set. 
like in a higher frame rate or whatever yeah Yeah. so if we slow-mo and if we slow-mo like something that's just been shot at normal speed you can tell it just doesn't look good so they have to shoot at a higher a faster speed so that the quality still remains good even though it's in this beautiful dreamy slow-mo speed yeah so that is a that is a director choice for sure you know (laughs) and um and it's so fun when you get it it's interesting i'm on a show right now that is using a lot of like 48 frame slow-mo which is a a a speed very rarely chosen and i was finally asking him like why am i getting all these 48 frame clips and it's so that it can be easily very easily changed to 24 and it's more Mm. for visual effects because we're having to composite characters into the scene and they want to be able to control the timing of the two halves of like the side by side split screen so that if they can if they need to slow down one character to get them into timing with the other because we have the same actor playing two characters so we're got it okay so anyway I was like okay that's cool but it was but it was the question I kept asking I was like is this a director choice or is this a VFX choice because you know I'm getting all these clips that are sort of slow mode but not and I and I was like oh I don't need to use them that's not I'm that's not the choice and then I found out there was a there was one scene that was director choice I'm like good to know you know like you try to read the dailies when you get them like is there a purpose for this you know and and um and so you want to you want to try to follow that guide and achieve their vision (laughs) that gives us a good a good transition into the secrets of the scrolls for this episode where do we peel things back where do we look at what signs and symbols we find this episode we've actually gone deep in this throughout this episode so we've yeah. been swimming in this primordial soup the whole time uh so i'll 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 start us off with a pretty simple one um that also feels like a little bit of an editor's choice so jennifer you might help mm-hmm. us here but we get that nice just half second hold on the ornamental you know the checkoffs narwhal basically you know when they kind oh of oh my pick- god that damn narwhal yeah so you get it right there, and the camera exist. just lingers it didn't exist <laughs> i remember oh, you, you telling that, me you had to like manufacture this is that like, like right? totally constructed I, oh I'm, my god wow that out of my rear um, tell us tell yes. us come on yeah. yes. there was reveal the secret problem uh we just basically fixed it in post in post <laughs> there, there was not a there was not a great come on throw some people under the bus <laughs> no, 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 no. It was there was no statue on set. There was no narwhal. There was kind of a thing, but it didn't look very good, and the horn wasn't right, and it didn't read. We needed to establish that there was a damn narwhal out there. You're right. So it's kind of a. It was sort of knitted together out of wow. spit and wire, but it worked. It did. Yeah. Well, there you go. Yeah, we did. You did reveal a secret there. That was awesome. <laughs> Who yeah, has I- another one? I kind of accidentally shot my like secret of the scrolls wad already. Like it was like about the uh, tower tarot and how that kind of foreshadows like we're That's dead a eventually. It's a really good one. Up, Digging deep. There's a flash of lightning, and then he like falls out that door and everything. So, yeah, that. I also loved. Um... Jocelyn's little kind of like mini arc, which is that you know when he's talking to Blaze, he's like. You know, he he offends Blaze so much in his origin story of how he became a lynx. You know, it was just his aunt and he did it. And then it means nothing to him, you know. And then and then it feels like when he comes back in and he's crazy sunburned, you know, and he's like, Mm -hmm. I just spent an hour in the waves and I'm humming and I I've never felt so relaxed. It's like he's something is is 
changing in him. You know what I mean? And so, so it's like, and he's, he's, he's testifying to it in the lodge. And so I kind of, I love that we got that before and after with him and, yeah. and, um, and Jocelyn becomes so important, you know, in terms of like helping to save the lodge. And, um, and you needed that scene to like start it off of like, he doesn't care. It's just bills. He's like, I'm just looking for what I can liquidate here. And, um, and, and then to see the, the seas of change are working on him, you know, and it's, it's like, that's a small step. And the lodge really is important working one. on him. Yes, the lodge is waking up, <laughs> for sure. Yeah. And yeah, can the, you the ask only... for two better actors to, to... Oh, I just, like, I, my only wish with this episode was more Blaze. Is, is the next episode the one <laughs> Blaze has his breakdown the, with, the, with the washing machine and stuff? Is that the next episode? Oh. You cut that one, didn't you, That's Jennifer? season two, isn't it? Yeah, that was yeah. Oh, was that season two? Okay. Oh, anyway, it just like, I just love that. And the washing machine shot—that's another one that's sort of like the the turning and the churning and the The circles. All circles vanish. Oh God, you guys! I got to tell you, like, so season two started off with that amazing, crazy. What do you call that circular thing that Uh, like Dud's dream um, of the whatever. Zoetrope and Jennifer and her assistant I had I can't even tell you how hard they worked on that to make that just look magical and incredible and the set designers and everybody yeah and I think I think people were like worried a little bit that it wasn't you know was is this gonna work and I felt like I was the guinea pig in the because I was like I was like I'm an editor who's also a super fan because I literally I I have a twin (laughs) I grew up at the beach I'm like my my I have a parent who's passed away I'm like I just relate to so many elements of this it's crazy oh, oh the crying of lot 49 was like my favorite book in college I love that know? book yeah. <laughs> so like when I went into interview with Peter and Jim I was like I'm like shaking because I want to be a part of this world <laughs> but anyway so I just remember Jennifer was like come in and watch this and I watched it and I was like this is amazing and then another point Peter was like is it like come on from the point of view of like the fans like is I was like this is incredible I was like do not have any fears about what you're presenting to open the season we have the crazy like omni-man jumping out of a plane on fire are you kidding me and then that zoetrope of like incredible like prophecy moments like I I was like this is just magical gold to give the to give the people who love this show like right what was the scene season two where we were we were previewing all kinds of different cues. Oh, I think it might have been the end. It might have been the finale. Yeah. And we, we yeah. had to bring in Susan to, to see if it worked. And we made her cry. So we knew that we made it work. <laughs> it was the Ernie getting the, the, the you know, his his Larry mantle, you know, he was the, yeah. the knight superior. Oh, that was it. it. That was Sorry. it. it like, was the... my, my brain has like moments, but you know, he was, he was the, the supreme the guy. Sovereign protector. Sovereign protector. Sovereign protector. Thank you. Blah, blah, blah. Anyway, and it, that moment was so it was so earned and it's just like it was it was like so true and whatever the song that you found in that moment was just it just like it just released the truth and the like loveliness and the joy and you could just be in the moment and feel that joy and I I just like literally I remember just sitting there and and it's also when you get to watch something with a group of people and it was like Jennifer and her assistant and Nina Jack was there and and um and Jim and and probably Peter and I just like we we're all like bunched in, in on this an couch. and it was like just the emotion I felt this emotional like just like 
you know, just like, I don't know, something was happening, like watching it. I just, it was really wonderful feeling everyone's emotion. And I just was like, yeah. oh, I'm, I'm just going to be in this moment watching this because as of, as an editor, we have to really remember the first time we get to see things because like we, like the audience, like you only get that moment once, right. Where you get to relate to the audience and how they're going to feel the one time they watch it. You know, I mean, now people can watch it on repeat, but you know, like it used to be that like it just aired once you couldn't even, you know, hit rewind, you know? <laughs> and so I was really paying attention. Like, I was like, I want to pay attention to how I'm feeling in this moment. And if it's really authentic and it was just like, it was gorgeous. And I couldn't, I couldn't talk at the end of that scene. I was mm. like, I was so like, I'm so moved and that we yeah. brought the show and we brought Ernie's journey here, like to this moment and Dud and everyone in the lodge together. It's just like, I was really, my breath was like, I was like, don't make me talk. Cause I'm just going to cry. <laughs> like, and, uh, and Jim, <laughs> Jim, Jim Gavin was really, advice I ever got. Thrilled. <laughs> yeah. He was like, yay. <laughs> So the best advice I ever gotten as an assistant editor, Claire, you will appreciate this, was uh, mm -hmm. uh, an editor told me very early on, I was cutting like, or I was assisting in, in half hour sitcoms. And uh, he said, when you're watching dailies, write down what makes you laugh. Because mm. that's keep, great. It won't keep making you laugh. Right. Because you get used to it. Yeah. But you, yeah. that first time is all that matters. And you got to write that yeah. down. You got to note that. Yeah. Yeah, because after a while, yeah, after a while, it just sort of wears on you and you're like, okay, but yeah, how does this cut together continuity-wise? Yeah. And like, you know, yeah. Yeah, you um, have to sort of put yourself back in this headspace of like, mm -hmm. try to watch this fresh, try to watch it fresh, you know what I mean? Like, just, yeah. and, and I actually make an effort as an editor to sometimes like, you know, just literally go into a different room and watch it on a different TV or like literally just even shove my chair a few more feet right. away from the screen yeah. because just, just let me change my perspective a little bit. Let me lie on, now that we're working from home, let me lie on my bed and watch it on my laptop right. and see how it feels because it just, just to even make that shift, it, it gives you a chance to have a fresh perspective and, and, um, and see it, you know, it just feel fresh watching it again. It's, it's like, cause we have to watch these shows over and over and over again. And mm. so. You, you got to try to like remind yourself of like how it yeah. felt the first time. Does it still feel that way? Does it still work? You know, yeah. how Jennifer, it feel. Don't, don't let yourself become numb. <laughs> <laughs> Doing my so, best. <laughs> so Jennifer, I know you weren't the only editor on this particular episode, but you did work on it. When you rewatched it, was there any moments that did feel fresh to you again? Or that, you know, with a little bit of a time and not, you know, doing rewind fast forward for hours and days on end that kind of struck you new? I think the 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 most precious to me was the scene with Connie and the security guard in the parking lot of the high school. That scene almost went altogether, and it's considerably shorter. I'm trying to remember what all got omitted, but I love that scene so much. I love that guy. I love everything about that moment. That she's me too. yeah right. It's you no. Know, as a viewer, that scene stuck out to me so much because it was just like. It was so, um, again, it was beautifully economically told, you know, mm -hmm. and, and, and this guy was just a character who a lot of shows would have had him be a jerk for a little while and then come around to being sympathetic. He yeah. just almost so immediately was so present and compassionate. And it was just like, you just felt how Connie needed that. He was like the guy she mm -hmm. needed in that moment. And it was really like lovely. And that he, he has like that thing he says where he's just like, 
time, you know, I went here too. And it's like time slips and I feel like I'm 15 mm -hmm. again. And it's, it's, it's like, he's telling Connie exactly what she's feeling and, and he gets it also. It's just so one it's just, human who sees another human in pain. Exactly. And it's like, right. that's what, there's so many moments like that in, in the lodge, you know, I mean, in, lodge, yeah. in the show of lodge 49, we're like, we're all humans being. And, <laughs> yeah. and I just, that guy, that guy rocked it in that moment and whatever it was cut down to, I don't know if there was extraneous lines, like you said, it just like, to me, it was just such a perfect little moment of the show of, of like, you know, being kind of wanting to go back to the past and being stuck in the present. And he's like, is there anyone we can call for you? I mean, it just was so compassionate. Well, and, and, so and recognizing that you may well have no future. Like that's what Connie's dealing with. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But he's also not like talking down to her and like condescending right. to her, you know, in that moment where she's, she's a little drunk, he can see she's drunk and he's just like, but who can, who can we call to help you? You know, you are a functioning adult. And then Scott comes in a wordless moment and just, doesn't he just reach out and hold her hand or something? And it's like, yeah. or something like that. I think he pulls up yeah. and just looks and like, I feel like there's a tilt down to her. She hand. gets in and he holds her yeah. hand. Yeah, yeah, it's lovely. It's just so, again, it's the visual storytelling is really profound. And it's like, sometimes it's the gesture we need more than the words, you know? And, and I, oh, I love that scene too. And it almost got cut. Oh. Probably because it was a long episode, you know? Yeah. Yeah, it was, it was easily five or six minutes over. I, and I was like, oh, oh my God. Yeah. Well, well, I'm I'm like, glad every, every minute is good. Yeah. yeah, I was thinking about that scene about like, you know, when there's the argument for defunding the police and it's kind of like, I mean, yeah. he's a security guard and not a cop, but it's like, it almost gives you a glimpse of if you rearrange the money, how a situation could go. Yeah. yeah. You know, like, because at first right. I was like, she's yeah. like, they're, they're, she's playing it like she's clearly intoxicated and he hasn't even brought that up. You know, it's like, and yeah. he just, but he does at the end, he's like, I can't let you drive like this. But first thing he does is kind of talk her down off the ledge. And he's, a, you know, and it's like, if you had somebody answer the call that was more of a, some sort of counselor of some sort, it's mm -hmm. like, it's almost like a glimpse of like what it exactly kind of could be. And then the, the yeah. right thing happens, she gets driven home and no one's hurt. And, you know, and it was just, yeah, it was really touching. And that's kind well, of just, it, just in general how different uh, human interactions can be if we respond with empathy. Yeah, a great point. Yeah, 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 yeah. and the, yes, hundred <laughs> percent yes. I and I, I thought the same. I couldn't help but like think about like you know there were some incidents last summer of like a guy who a black man who was asleep in his car and mm. you know he winds up. Or he fell asleep in the drive-through. Was, yeah, um, and he and he, he's Georgia. killed at the end of it. I mean, it just was like, yeah, yeah. exactly. If if there had been a whole different kind of interaction from the start, um, the ending could have been so different. And and anyway, just the humanity in the show it yeah. always blows my mind. Again, because there's also these like moments of such farce and levity, and it's like you know there the there's a harpoon that still works, you know, and, <laughs> and, 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 you know what I mean? And, and, then, and then the, you know, the, the goat that's like wandering through the trailer after, you know, he's like, I would go hang out with the yes, goat with people. The, uh, the, the thing, the, the, what are those things called? You take it a rave that lights up the goat. Oh, has a glow stick? The glow stick. Glow stick. The, the goat has a glow stick hanging off its head. Party <laughs> goat. <laughs> yes, burning goat. Anyway, all right it's, yeah it's beautiful i think we have reached that time everyone's favorite part of the show where we all name our alchemist of the week who won the week who transferred something from one thing 
to another. Uh, we will start with our guests. Jennifer, why don't you lead us off with your alchemist of the week? Uh, well, we were sort of talking about this earlier and the, the obvious choice is clearly Captain. This feels like it's Captain's episode. Uh, but to me, uh, this episode, it's really about all of the, the sort of tertiary characters, the ancillary characters, the security guard, Gil, um, the other security guard who uh, jokes with Ernie when he finds a, a Kaplan that doesn't exist. Right. It's, it's, it's Long Beach. It's all these sort of random, real, human, quirky people. Those are the, the alchemists to me who weave something magical out of everything. I totally agree. Like the security guard, that little moment with, with Big Ben where he talks about Dud, like this kid really yes, cares. Anita, like, big he just, Anita, they just cut through it so fast. Like Connie's interview with Gil, it's just so real. For me though, the alchemist of the week is Liz because I just think like what she does in that Omni training is so great. Cause there's so many people there just BSing, trying to like say what Tarquin wants to hear. And she's the only one who actually goes deep and like speaks some truth that, you know, is, is really almost surprising to her. And um, the moment that I always, that really resonates every time I've seen that episode is when she says, hand me the quill, because she's sort yeah. of like trying on their language, but she's also basically being like, I want to be the author of this right now, you know, and mm -hmm. she's taking charge. And I just, I, there's something about her just like trying on this omni leadership and like the hand me the quill. I don't know. There's a way she says that line is so yeah. awesome. And the title of the episode is something from nothing. And I feel like she's the only one in that training who is doing something there. Everybody else is just giving nothing. And she's, she's, she's turning some, she is finding the essence and turning. She definitely it into found, gold. found something out of the nothing that Tarquin and those <laughs> idiots were giving her. Yes. Yeah. Blair, why don't you give us your first ever sure. Alchemist of the Week? Oh, my first ever Alchemist of the Week. Um, I was going to say Gil. Well, I was going to make like a cute joke about like, it's the editors, obviously. But then, then y'all scoop my joke for me. So, um, But yeah, uh, so Gil, um, there's like a moment where he says like, I can't complain. I got 20 years out of Orbis. I look at my nephews, they'll never have that anywhere. I'll always be hustling two, three jobs. Yeah, he spins gold out of this like shit situation where he, he mm -hmm. was um, like, uh, you know, fired after building things for so many years. But at least he like got a chance at that kind of life at, at some point, you know. All right. I am. I thought a lot of times I kind of struggle sometimes. I'm looking for something and I have come back to... Um, Larry a lot this season, um, mm. but I felt like this episode had a lot of uh, alchemists this week. Um, but I'm gonna go with Blaze because I really enjoyed, me and Chris had a nice little debate earlier today about this, but I really enjoyed his sort of righteous moment when he tells uh, <laughs> Jocelyn to just get out. And I mean, maybe it's because I've been able to do this once or twice in my life, but like the idea of telling someone to get the fuck out is really cathartic. And when you get to a certain point with that, when you have it and you're in the right position and you can tell them to get out, it, you know, that probably resonated with me to, to some degree. But I would also say that 
it's from that that like sparks it you know i think he was he was sort of mean to jocelyn and jocelyn has just been like through the ringer and beaten up and sunburned and all this kind of stuff and jocelyn is like going through this whole thing but i think it's it's like the little kick in the pants that he sort of needed and and whether blaze meant to do it that way or not Mm. from this point on jocelyn kind of undergoes this change and sort of starts to loosen up and he relaxes and he kind of starts to understand what's important in life meanwhile I think it also is sort of the beginning that we're seeing of uh, Blaze's own downturn, where he kind of gets more and more invested into the, um, you know, secrets of the lodge and alchemy, and he gets a little bit more and more. In an unhealthy way. In an unhealthy way, which ultimately does lead to his own transformation as well, where we know by season two that he kind of, he gets the right help. And I think that it does begin with him it kind of, you know, it starts with the, it's not a mummy, you know, when he gets really <laughs> angry about that kind of stuff. And mm-hmm. then he has this small moment where he has some happiness with Avery, only to find that that is also a very um, depressing, uh, you know, lie. It's a scam. That, yeah, a fraud. Scam. He was a fraud. And so, um, so now he's really on edge and we're kind of seeing the beginning of his transformation as well and I think that sometimes if you if you've got to get something out of you like that um uh you know worm in his nose you've got to go (laughs) through this process and it's going to be a little bit ugly to get to the bottom of it and so I'm going with Blaze. Love it that's a great analysis of that moment for him. Yes so is Jocelyn uh the gold that got I think so. (laughs) Uh, When Jocelyn has to eventually go home, you can see that he's sort of sad. Uh, But he, from this moment on, Jocelyn becomes a new person with a new sense Mm -hmm. of purpose in life. And he's happy. And he's He's reborn from the water. Yeah. 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 Yes. Yes, exactly. And, uh, you know, so I think that, you know, that he, you know, Blaze is the catalyst and Jocelyn is the reciprocant of that transformation in a good positive way (laughs) all right chris uh i was i was going to defend jocelyn a little bit as my alchemist of the week but i think he actually you see his reverse transformation because he brings some of that in later episodes he brings some of that back when it's forgotten at the lodge so i think there are opportunities for that like it you know the reciprocity there repays itself down the road um I, I'm a little disquieted the fact that you can punch down and use somebody else as a trash receptacle as a way to uh, for betterment, but we, we, we'll <laughs> leave that on the side. Um, but I will say, and I hate taking, I hate using Dud just because it's cliche. So I will, what I loved about Dud as the Alchemist of the Week this week is that we get these moments every so often in the in the series run where the roles are reversed between him and Ernie and he becomes a little bit of the, the mm-hmm. advisor and not the advisee. And mm. it plays for great comedy in these moments when he's like having to like gut check Ernie, like, you know, dude, yeah. chill, you know, like <laughs> no one wants to like go at the plumbing catalog 24 seven. Like, well, you and know, Ernie's you've got aware her- of it too, right? Like yeah, he calls yeah. it out and he's like, oh great. This is what I've come to. I'm getting yeah. lectured by. Yeah. So, you know, and we get all these, like, both in life and business, we get this Ernie to Dud advice and, you know, yeah. attempted transformation in their whole relationship. So 
uh, there's a few moments, but that one in the restaurant when Captain goes to the bathroom or excuses himself, or I guess he goes to, to do his request with the flamenco guitar player. Uh, you know, he's just like, you know, give him the elbow and you just got to rein it in, dude. Uh, so, yeah. um, and he does, he does help Ernie, he does help Ernie relax. Like this whole episode, their roles are reversed. He's kind of leading Ernie in a journey rather than reverse. So I'm not sure if that's alchemy necessarily, but I really enjoyed the, the, the role reversal there. Oh, I love that perspective. Yeah. That's so great. That was um, something I, when Linda Iman sent me that message about the show Hacks, which I think I forgot to mention, the show I was working on <laughs> right, right before we did this was Hacks. Um, but I said, the one thing I've enjoyed about it is that telling the story of mentorship, you know, and that it can go both ways, you know, and it, it reminded me a little bit of like Dud and Ernie and, and in Hacks, it's Ava and Deb and just like very generationally different, very personality different and what they, seeing what they, they can, you know, the, how they can cross the divide is such an interesting story to tell and um and and like in this episode like you're saying seeing dud take over and just gently guide ernie and it starts in that early moment where he's hyper ernie's hyperventilating and he's like let me take care of you here <laughs> you know it's it's really again it was a, this was a great script i was really really impressed with like how like a plus B equals C in so many of the, the, the storytelling of it. You know, it was really beautifully put and together. The, and the parallel storytelling of, you know, yeah. it's like a captain is a big fraud who is doing this big scam. And then you see Gil, who's basically, this is the result of that kind of bullshit. Yeah, it's, yeah. That's a good point. There's also a great duality because there's this one, there's the scene where we're, Ernie goes and he's being celebrated by Bob at West Coast Super Sales right. in their little mm -hmm. basement room. And, and yet Bob's taking him down at the same time. Yeah. He's like, you know, this guy is a no, you might look at him and think he's a nobody, but he just landed <laughs> our best sale ever. And then the next cut is to Tarquin and the, the fallacy of Omni and, and, you know, their whole training. So it's these corporate, these dualities of these two kind of corporate entities, you know, one which is like kind of real guys in it. And the other one that's just, you know, all shades and shapes. Yeah. Right. So all, all shadows and shadows. And then yeah, going to secret handshakes. Any... Yeah. 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 By the way, did anybody else think while they were watching this one, did his nickname Captain come from Kaplan? Yeah, That's, I, was yeah I was wondering. Oh. That was much discussed. I think Kaplan was like somebody's name that Jim knew and you don't notice it when it's written down. And then you've right. got everybody saying Captain and Kaplan at the same time. Yeah. Like, oh. yeah. That's funny. Unintended mystery. But no, it was, it was completely <laughs> intentional. It was yeah. completely intentional and it was supposed to be, you know, a, a phoneme to just sort of like blur the line between. But it also could just be part of his fraud that like that people said Kaplan, Kaplan, and then someone said, did you say Captain? And then he's like, yes, I'm Captain or something. You know what I mean? Yes, eventually yeah. it became yeah. apparent that it was a problem and it's they started to write it into the scripts as a joke. Oh, that's hilarious. Yeah. Wow. I go by many names. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Captain Gary. The gray man. <laughs> That's pretty much it. You know, I, I actually Googled, I was like, is there a gray man tarot card? But I could not find that. So no, there is not. There is only Captain. But, yeah, yeah. I, only I just want to take this one moment since Susan was talking about the whole mentor and mentee thing mm. and talking about Linda. What a loss not having season three is. Oh my God. That was going to be like it was Liz and 
Liz and Connie and the yeah. whole like Night Squire been... and the, clearly that was what Ugh. was getting set up and it would have been fantastic. Right. Yeah. And Clara and her story too and her All strange friendship with Connie. Like it was definitely heading in this matrilineal direction. Like that was what was so exquisite about that Circles episode with yeah. you know Jackie Loomis and like uh, right? and Jim just Jim just loves that. I mean he loved that storytelling and it was so cool. Yeah. Um yeah, I mean, just oh, and like in season two, Ernie and his his daughter, the story of his daughter. You know, I mean, mm -hmm. just I don't know. It's like it, the, the women who shaped a lot of these men's lives in the law. Just mm -hmm. really sort of you know those stories. I think were going to be the the big through line of season three, the Earth. You know, so yeah. anyway, yeah. in our hearts and minds, it's there. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. You never know. Scott's like uh, new romance with the uh, woman in the backyard that he kind of the bought. tunnel lady. Oh yeah, right. Oh. oh my god, that was so much fun. Yeah, totally. Oh, that was one of my favorite. Him like doing the running across the football field with those robes on. <laughs> like it just one of, the, yeah. one of the best shots in season two, <laughs> tackling the dummy. You know? yeah. <laughs> so, so we're embracing the sadness. The sorry, the, the, sorry, I'm bringing us. No, it's fine. It, we're, you know, this is this is here. This is one of the reasons we're doing it. Do you all ever, uh, this past year, you know, the, sh the show is really, you know, everyone, like everyone told, I'm sure you all told yourselves, the fans told themselves, we always heard it from all these different angles, like the show will find an audience, you know, it'll be a cult hit, you know, blah, blah, blah. But I think everyone in their minds was thinking that was going to be like three, five years out, you know, some things, mm -hmm. you know, who it was like literally months later. Now I know some of it's pandemic driven and more people are watching and then it shows up on yeah. what to watch during type lists. But like that like fast track to cult status, it was almost like if it had been six months earlier, who yeah. knows? Did you, do you, I'm sure you enjoy that, but is it frustrating ever that it, it sort of like caught life that quickly after? Of course. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, there's, I just, I think the, the moment the lockdown happened, it felt like we were living in some weird parallel universe we weren't supposed to be in. And for me, part of that was like, why am we, why are we not working on season three of, of Watch 49? Like there's an alternate world where we're doing that and we're all doing what we want to be doing and telling that story. And it was very hard to not have that happen, you know, and, and to feel the loss of that. And we can use community. It's, it's huge. Yeah. So it's so, like, mean, that's why it's it's just so sweet when you see on Twitter, like the way Links members mm -hmm. just reach out and support each other. And I just, and, that, and when we all met at the Long Beach Comic Con, like it was, that was so special. It's Jennifer only good and I drove, <laughs> we so drove, I know we drove down together. And I mean, you know, I, you know, Jennifer, you're the first person I ever heard use the term social distancing. Cause I think like oh, we texted about right. doing something and, and you were like, well, I, I was like, what's going on for you right now? And you were like, I'm just practicing my social distancing. And I, I hadn't heard that term yet. It must've been like, maybe like January or February, like soon right. after the Comic-Con. And, and um, I was joking because I do that all the time. <laughs> <laughs> Still, but like that, that Comic-Con event was so special. Like that was so awesome. Was. Alethea and Andrew was there, Andrew Carroll, our composer, and um, just some, I don't know, it was just yeah, yes. great. Andrew, Andrew did Jim incredible work on, on episode eight, for sure. Oh, the music yeah. was spectacular. Yeah. Yes. Mm -hmm. Well, and, Even uh, just the the Omni the chime. Omni. You know? oh, yes. <laughs> the ethereal voices singing. 
And um, yes, the flamingo is so good. The music yes. was ridiculous. That was hard to, that was challenging to put together. <laughs> I just remember thinking, um, uh, like watching sort of the, the fan response, thinking there's something very lodgy about beautiful things are not appreciated in their time. And that's mm -hmm. sort of what's happened here, right? Mm -hmm. That it's mm -hmm. been a delayed reaction. Beauty is fleeting. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't last forever, so you need to appreciate it. Yeah, indeed. Yeah. No. Well, I that's know. such a beautiful way to end, but I did want to give you an opportunity to talk and brag about some work that you might have coming up. I was, my wife and I were sitting around watching Hacks and I saw Susan, your name pop up and I was like, oh my God. <laughs> You know, so like, uh, you know, I know one thing yeah. that, that the fans love to do is kind of track where people both in front of and behind the cameras are working on from the show, you know, that extended lodge. So where can we see your name scroll across our television sets? Yeah, that's, that's, I'm, I'm very proud of that right now. Cause like I, 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 after lodge, I did space force and oops, lose my earbud, oh. uh, earbud. Um, <laughs> I, did, I did space force and then literally finished that, you know, right when we should have been starting lodge season three. Right. Mm -hmm. And then of course it was like the first week of March or something, you know, and instead it, the world shut down and then I didn't work for seven months. And so then the next thing I got was hacks and it was like right around Thanksgiving. And it was just like, so it was just such a gift to work on something again that I really believed in, like I felt about Lodge. And I just loved the storytelling and the writers and the showrunners were exceptionally talented. And it was it was hard because it's hard to, that was a lot to do to get it ready for the Emmy season they wanted it out for, but it was just so great. And, and I'm really proud of the storytelling on that. And then the next thing I'm doing is a, is a big HBO drama that won't even come out for a whole other year called The Time Traveler's Wife. And um, that's oh, it's kind of fun. Book. Yeah, I know. It's a book we all read a long time ago. And it's it's mm -hmm. like great actors. It's Rose Leslie from Game of Thrones. And the director is David Nutter from Game of Thrones. So that's, it's kind of oh. cool. It's like, it's got a whole new challenge and a very humane pace. I am enjoying the nice. pace of work, which is like, okay, thank you. Like, let's say <laughs> something I loved about Lodge actually was that we got to tell the story that we wanted to tell and then stop. And not instead of like you do a network TV where you cut it down to like nothing, you know, yeah, we had to usually have to lift a few minutes, but like, you know, it's, it's just really beautiful storytelling with showrunners who really care about telling the story properly and putting in the great songs and everything. So that was a huge fun part of Hacks too, is all the music was reminded me a oh, lot about the music from Lodge. It was good. Jennifer, yeah. what can, what can we be looking for on our television sets? Uh, I'm currently in the midst of and wrapping up a show for Netflix called The Woman in the House with Kristen Bell. It's a lot of fun and great cast and super crazy. I think people will have a good time with it. All right. Well, just a deep amount of gratitude for joining us on the show. We know that, you know, you're taking two hours out of your day at this point. We, we just, you know, we, we, we love Sorry having we you. Sorry we on too much. No, no, no. They're, oh, they're, they're all about that length. Believe yeah. me, it's fine. That's fine. We just, really want to show our appreciation for, for joining us. You don't have to do this. It's an old show. You know, it, it doesn't always bring up the, you know, sad memories come up when you think and watch this much. So we appreciate the fact that you would join us. Yeah, I remember yeah, from the Comic-Con, I really, uh, one of the things I really remember and took back from me was how uh, fun and easy it was to talk to you guys. And so I've been looking forward to this actual episode for a long time. 
Thank you so much. It's really like, it's such a joy to talk about and it's, it was such a great experience to be a part of and really um, kind of, I, I just really loved the rewatch recently. You know, I'm like, mm -hmm. I, I felt like I saw a lot of ties to season two that I hadn't noticed before. And it was just like, oh yes. Well, so it, yeah, it definitely yeah. struck me it, is that there was a plan. Jim had a plan. Yeah. <laughs> There's clearly yeah. a plan. Yeah. What was the episode where Ernie says, I'm the, I'm in the middle, I'm the middle man of middle men or something. And I was like, right. that was yeah. Jim's book. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> that was the name That's of his right. book. I just, I love it. Anyway, you've given us the opportunity to catch a few little nuggets of gold that we might've missed along the way. So it just, uh, it's mm -hmm. great. Thank you guys right. so much for doing this. Oh my God. Yes, Pod 49. Thank you so much. Pod 49. Pod 49. <laughs> and great for me to meet y'all too. Just big fan as a fellow Thanks, editor. Claire. And uh, <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Keep yeah. up all the right. alchemical. As work. Deb would say, bye guys. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, we will see you uh, for the next one, which we will be doing episode nine with, uh, you know, we don't like to give things away, but I think it's going to be a kind of a mind blower. So got a great guest coming up for episode nine, and we'll keep, keep on trucking. And who knows, maybe we'll go past episode 10. So see you next time. Looking, looking forward to it. Thanks, y'all. Everybody's been waiting to get back into the summertime groove. And don't you know it? All across the nation, girls and guys are just beginning to move. And don't you know it? So come on with me, baby, and you will find a way to make things happen that'll blow your mind.